talk about revolution that's going a little bit too far. So love me, love me, love me. I'm a liberal. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of More Like the Worst Wing, uh, our podcast where me, Dave, and me, Stu, discuss and debate about the West Wing from a leftist 2018 perspective. Uh, and this episode is episode 18, as we quickly get gearing towards the end of season one, uh, entitled, very inaccurately, Six Meetings Before Lunch. Yes, I'd like to, as you noted before we started recording, um, there are actually very few meetings that happen. Uh, there are f- less than six. <laughs> Certainly uh, and less I than believe, six. And I believe only one, two, maybe three of them happen before lunch, yeah. if, we're, <laughs> if we're going by the chronology of the episode. Uh, so, extremely inaccurate title, just to get that one out of the way. Uh, a lot happens here. So, the main thrust as we come in is they're wrapping up the uh, Mendoza confirmation vote uh, for Chief Justice, or sorry, not Chief Justice, I corrected you in the notes here, <laughs> just, ju- just Justice, uh, Men- uh, yeah, it's Adama. Adama. <laughs> or, yes. Bill, Bill Adama, Adama is being confirmed to the Supreme is, is Court. Is being confirmed, and Toby will not let anyone celebrate or have champagne until the actual 51st vote is actually recorded, even though they know ahead of time that they're getting their 51 votes. Uh, so Toby gets to play Sourpuss, which is a nice contrast for later in the episode when he is ridiculously happy for a, a couple of minutes. Yeah, and, uh, and it weird it weirds everyone out. And I guess technically this whole intro to the episode occurs before lunch, if you count the night before as being before yeah, the next day's lunch. A, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call this a meeting. <laughs> I wouldn't <though>. either. <laughs> so I think I think the the title's still inaccurate as fuck. Uh, so then we get past that and we get to the main issues of the episode, which kind of come up as each character. Uh, gets like someone coming in through their door in the morning about an issue. Uh, CJ gets Danny uh, approaching her about a. Uh, uh, he actually approaches her about something other than Zoe at first, uh, and I totally forget. Can't, what it I'm is. blanking on what it is too, but yeah. But they have a nice, cute moment, and then later on we get a thing where a reporter hassles Zoe at her college. Uh, and CJ ends up having to deal with the fallout of that, which we'll discuss later. Uh, Josh's thing is he gets a uh, the U.S. Civil Rights Attorney General, mm-hmm. uh, I believe, is up for confirmation. Uh, and he has a the gen- Attorney General, presumptive Attorney General, has a quote on the back of a book uh, being pro-reparations. Uh, and they think this is going to be a political uh, landmine during the confirmation hearing. Uh, and then Sam gets Mallory uh, coming to him very concerned about a position paper he has written that is pro-school vouchers, as she is a teacher at a public school. Yeah. And that sort of sets up our, our main storylines for the episode. Yeah, that's a great uh, great summation. So we, Thank you. They're, they're, the episode structure itself, we, we start to see, and I made a little bit of a note about this, but like we start to see it is less, um, the, like, the structure of the scripting, starts to emphasize less each individual political episode or political issue, I guess, and starts Mm -hmm. to tie them together into the broader narrative because, again, spoilers, if you haven't been fucking paying attention, (laughs) um, we're we're driving the conclusion of the season, which I believe now is two episodes away, um, in the direction of the kind of the, the big old catastrophe 
at the end of season one, which involves the you know the Zoe and Charlie. Is conflict. it really only two episodes away? Uh, no, it's looking like four episodes away. Actually, we've got we've got three more, and then the finale. Okay, well, all right, okay, I, I stand <laughs> but, uh, corrected. Anyway, we're starting to build out. But you're right. That yes. narrative, and so the. I guess the show itself, kind of, again, before we started recording, we were talking a little bit about how there's a lot happening, but it's it's all somewhat superficial, and... A little bit. Like, no, you know, aside from the Mendoza confirmation, nothing truly happens this episode in terms of, like, a political action being taken. Yeah, yeah. and so I think that there's a lot of... It's sort of... It's like background exposition they get spent time on, because we do get to see, oddly enough, the... Um, the Secret Service kind of behind the scenes where we go in for a very bizarre briefing. Yes. Okay. So let's let's dissect this scene for a, for a hot minute here because this is weird. Uh, I mean, it starts off fine with Ron Butterman is it's it's a briefing clearly, and Secret Service uh, head in charge man Ron Butterman uh, is is briefing them about various hate groups that they've added to like their watch list. Which, that all seems fine and like, what the Secret Service would be doing. Uh, and then he decides to turn it into schoolroom pop quiz mode <laughs> and says, uh, hey, which one of you knows the 14 words? Yeah, so this is, and again, this serves a greater narrative arc because, I mean, they literally yes. they literally say, you know, not even like, it's, it's more blatant than foreshadowing. They literally just Absolutely. say out loud the fact that they're looking for two teenage boys who are basically continuing to threaten Zoe. Um, right. in the context and we've seen of, them before already. Mm-hmm. Like, this is clearly building towards the finale. Yeah. yeah, and and so, like, in that way, being a little bit explicit, it's fine, but it's just sure. super strange to see. And I made a note about this. Um, for me, actually, it's, it's somewhat positive in that the portrayal of the Secret Service, the actors and actresses selected are quite diverse, Especially right. as contrasted with your typical TV presentation of like, right? Normally they're like big, beefy white guys. Yeah, you with know, mirror almost, shades like and almost, earpieces. Yeah, yeah, almost a hundred percent. Like American Dad is like the per, you know like portrayal of this writ large. Like they're all stand types uh, when you see them in media normally. So yeah, you get a much more like nuanced and diverse and probably much more realistic look of what the actual Secret Service really looks like. Yes, where you know these guys are not muscle-bound bodyguards necessarily (laughs) like that's not what we need them for they're more you know they're more intellectual they're more trained about threat analysis threat recognition stuff like that they're not just goons yeah and so it's also um there is and sort of in in contrast is there is a a physical confrontation between georgia fox whose character's name i can never fucking remember and right. a reporter, when they corner Zoe at school, when this guy corners Zoe and starts asking her questions about right. a party that's sort of leaking out where a major donor's son was arrested on theoretical drug charges. Right. And th- that confrontation actually kind of makes my point where she doesn't have to, like, use massive amounts <laughs> of physical force to, like, get this reporter to back off. She just kind of slams him up <laughs> against a fridge and is like, hey, back the fuck off, dude. Yeah. And that works, you know, yeah. like... You really don't need more than that. Which is neat. And so I like that. But then this whole treatment of the, I don't know. It just seems, it's 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 exposition for the sake of exposition here, where it's literally saying, let's put the idea of white supremacy in the viewer's heads. 
right here, this is how we're going to do it by having it sort of be, I'm just asking questions here. Do you guys know about this trivia fact? And not to mention that, and right. I, I noted this as well in my notes, it is a very pedantic take, but they get the 14 words wrong. Yeah, the, which you only had 14 of them. Like, come on. <laughs> you messed up one of them because the 14 words are, we must secure our existence in a future for white children. Not, we must secure, like, white existence. I think I think they, uh, they yeah. say white existence, which, yeah. again, in a strictly semantic and sort of very nitpicky breakdown, that idea, the, the thing that it's meant to convey and that it does convey to fucking neo-Nazis and white supremacists is a very in-groupy, possessive mm-hmm. phrasing for Absolutely. this. So it was interesting that they dug so hard in on this stuff and then it's just like oh whoops <laughs> you know right. we, we made this silly and, technical error here <laughs> yeah and like in, in a weird way you'll see this a lot come up through the west wing where they make very silly small <laughs> errors about like easily researchable trivial facts um and it's and it's weird when you see like the craft that goes into the writing other parts of the episode that like you just didn't have like a fact checker parse over this thing. Yeah, and it's actually uh, one time. I think it's it's sort of neat and timely to think about it because it's like back, you know, in 2000 when I was, I think I was first getting broadband internet installed in my house. Mm-hmm. It was like there was this sort of trivial level of detail was not actually very accessible, or right. you know, or actually at that point really important to the viewer. So right. we enter this. Yeah. Sorry, we were still in weird early internet uh, phase where, like, you know, stuff like Wikipedia was still very, like, early and people were being like, you can't trust anything on Wikipedia. <laughs> Anyone can, you know, stuff like that. So you're right. And it's it's occurring at this something that we've mentioned in, in previous episodes where it's sort of at a, um, a very nascent stage of the information accessibility turnover that the show was literally filmed through where it started in 1999 mm-hmm. where the internet mm-hmm. may as well have been a novelty for Absolutely. the vast majority of viewers and then for most people yeah and then wrapping up in 2006 where it's like oh yeah you know facebook <laughs> right yeah yeah uh still college kids only at that point but yes um yeah okay and then so the zoe plotline kind of ends up petering out and um not petering out i should say it becomes this thing of where cj convinces the president to not make it a story because it's so not a story ultimately it's you know she went to a party this party happened to contain a drug dealer who got arrested like that's the story that's it yep and and that and and she knew the guy uh yeah and so the the conflict centers around the fact that she tells two different Zoe relates two different sets of facts. She tells right. the reporter guy who ambushes her that she did not know that this donor's son guy was going to be at the party. And then she tells CJ through Charlie the fact that she was there to give this kid back his car keys because she had been basically a DD or confiscated right. them the last time he was there and was fucked up. So the reporter has one set of information CJ has another, and I was, mm-hmm. and my wife will testify. I'm sitting there going, why the fuck does this matter? Nobody knows what Zoe said except for you, CJ. Why are you making this big fucking deal out of it? 
And thankfully, she comes around to that same realization and basically yells what you just yelled at the president of like, the only people who know are me, you, CJ, and Danny. Uh, so if we all shut the fuck up about it, literally no one else will know. And, and I think that's actually when I now when I kind of reflect on my viewing of it, that's actually an interesting and pretty neat uh, narrative device where the show sort of scripts in the logical explanation of this core fundamental piece of CJ's job. So you get this example of exactly what the press secretary is supposed to do. Right. And they let her work it out on the president. Yeah. She has, she has like a sort of Sherlock Holmes moment of like piecing it together yeah. too, which is nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually, it, that's really good. And her plot line and Zoe's plot line pair up together nicely to kind of make this greater point. Like you said about what is the press sec- secretary's actual role? And it's preventing stupid non-stories like this from becoming stories <laughs> that <laughs> then have to be like dealt with the next day in like a real way when you could be doing other things with that day. Good and productive government things in theory. It's good that that's her role because she should never dance in public. There's this weird, <laughs> oh boy, weird fucking like, and this is this is iconic among fans of the show. This is the moment where CJ does the jackal. Yes, the jackal. And so, go ahead, you tell the story. Yeah. So okay, so the jackal crops up because it was something actual. Allison Janney, the actress who plays CJ, did in her trailer to amuse castmates when they weren't filming. Like, she knew this one song, and she'd lip-sync to it and dance in this funny way, and it just killed them. Uh, And so it became a quick inside joke between the cast and crew. Well, here's the thing about inside jokes. They're really only funny to the group that's involved in them, Uh, and if you film it and try to present it to millions and millions of people, uh, it comes across really awkward. (laughs) Yeah, and so you get, and I, like, you get this... (laughs) This phenom, this buildup during. First off, what yeah, is this ahead. song? I've never I've heard of this li- song I had before never in, my heard in my life. And again, you know, I am pretty. I, I like to consider myself musically educated. I'm not, but even like you know, so to be fair, I don't recognize a lot of songs. But even like, I've never even come close to hearing. <laughs> like, what is this? What is it about? What is, like, why, why is it, like, and the fact that they hype it up so much. So you get, like, four different characters before it happens telling you, oh, CJ's going to be doing the Jackal. You don't want to miss that. It's going to be good. <laughs> like, and that just it makes it all the more disappointing when you realize, like, th- this is it. <laughs> yeah, so what would you, what, what happened? Okay. What, are, what, what were you, <laughs> uh, does she do a magic trick now or something? <laughs> yeah. well, I'm waiting for something. Yeah. Uh, Sam also embarrasses himself by throwing up the weirdest just white boy hand gesture uh, I've ever seen, where he's just like, "Yeah, I'm hip, I'm with it." <laughs> like, it's just, oof. I, but uh, yeah. but he will not be the most embarrassing white boy in this episode. No, uh, that honor that honor will go to Josh when we get to his bit at the end. Yeah. Uh, but let's take a break right now, and we'll come back and discuss a couple other topics. The kind of most prominent political issue that pops up in this episode is this just utterly contrived way of Sam and Mallory having what boils down to a relationship spat mm-hmm. mediated mediated and instigated really by Leo. Because right. for, for some fucking reason, he still is just treating his adult daughter like she is a 14-year-old. 
Right, and treating Sam like he's a shitty teenager. Who exactly, came by like he's like, stopping by in his, you know, his old his busted up Volvo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Be like, hey, I'm picking up your daughter. <laughs> so this, this I don't evolves, know when I'll have her home. <laughs> this evolves quite suddenly. It, it, it springs from nowhere, really, because the, the conceit is that Leo sends Mallory this paper that Sam has written mm-hmm. as a method of opposition prep. So Sam has crafted this sort of, you know, position paper, this legal language, this description of issues and and kind of takes on them that the administration intends to use as a sort of like when you have a debate, Mm -hmm. Sam is presenting the shitty, stupid side that they want to know how to counter. He's being the hypothetical Republican Mm -hmm. uh, that that is very (laughs) pro-charter schools. Uh, which Mallory, of course, takes great offense to, as she is a public school teacher, uh, <laughs> and rightfully so, as charter schools are stupid and bullshit. Uh, and Mallory ru- lays out many ways in which they are stupid and bullshit, uh, and Sam decides to just keep arguing the position he has written in the paper uh, for no reason at all that I can tell, <laughs> other than they had a meeting. Well, and, and when I if, I... if I really think about it, and... I, again, he just wants to be devil's advocate. Like he literally just wants to argue for the sake of arguing, which is which is weird and betrays, I guess. And again, this is as the writers have used it to drive the Leo fucking with their the nascent drama. relationship yes. drama thing. Yes, but it, it speaks to and it develops in Sam this awful like lack of empathy and almost like sociopathic levels of being unable to read the room. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like he doesn't get like, and ultimately what it boils down to is at the end is he's, he's upset because he, he doesn't realize that this is hurting his chance at having a relationship with Mallory (laughs) and he's being this much of an asshole, which like read the room, dude. She's, she's fucking letting you know. She, she, she's not, she's not playing oppo research back to right. you she Sam. does she, she does is... not want to be devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah. she's those these are her actual beliefs and, and she wants to make sure that the man she's potentially going to date shares these beliefs as they're very core to her person her person and and yeah like personality employment status like, yeah like political like, like all this yeah stuff. why no, no, no that someone's core beliefs and yours relatively align is something that a lot of people do while dating <laughs> Yeah, and so this this evolves in sort of a rolling series of set pieces where they they either coincidentally or deliberately run into each other throughout the episode. And so I guess to really to to dissect the political issues thing. Yeah, dig into just, the meat of the issue here. Let's go for it. Let's just say that um Mallory and Sam eventually at the end come around and frankly i think sam gets to deliver a line that is almost unlike the show quite unlike mm-hmm. the show because mm-hmm. at the at the very end of this fucking tumultuous back and forth thing he comes mm-hmm. out and says like i think you you mentioned the talking point here is we should fund education like we fund the military Absolutely. which is which is almost like in however many words like nine words the exact thing that you should say when you are yeah. talking about public education in any developed nation in the world. He, he comes out and he, he pitches it in the very West Wing aspirational way. That And this is what gets people attached to the show is they remember these moments where he says schools should be palaces and, you know, we, we, you know education is the silver bullet and, 
and he, he makes all, you know, we don't just need small changes, we need giant sweeping changes, and it's like, that's all great, but then your actual fictional administration does not make any giant sweeping <laughs> changes in the show. Yeah, and... Uh, so it kind of kills your own point. Uh, it just becomes high-minded rhetoric with nothing backing it up. Yeah, and I think it would be, if if they had bothered to... If this had been said in a context of them actually discussing an education... I don't know, a bill or a fight. Right. Well, he he really peters out at the end where he makes this great (laughs) speech and then he goes, I just, you know, I want to fund the education like we fund the military. Dot, 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 beat. But I just don't know how to do it. (laughs) And and everyone at home says, nods their head sagely and Mm. says like, there is absolutely no difference. Yeah, there's no (laughs) difference between good things and bad things. You fucking idiot. Like, all all this shit. Oh, if if it's going to be a hard thing to do and take a lot of effort, then I just can't puzzle (laughs) that out. And I don't know, the, just to kind of... the, the the rhetoric around it, especially they, they use a extremely Democratic Party refrain, the education is a silver bullet mm-hmm. thing. And in a way, yes, that is correct. And we should endeavor to have as educated a populace as possible, I think, as a right. matter of public policy. But the problem with how this has forever been per- pursued is that mm-hmm. the process and gatekeeping of education are just as fucking bad and stratified mm-hmm. and stacked against the poor, Absolutely. just like every other institution? Absolutely. In the you know, you have the, you have Ivy League colleges, which are basically just you know glad handing clubs for the rich and famous to fucking network with each other and set themselves up better. And yeah, you know, they're gatekeep to fucking back, and <laughs> you know, so absolutely, you're right in that. Uh, but as as an ideal of just kind of broadly viewing education as an ideal, it is a silver bullet in the sense of like we should strive for the most education for everyone equally, in you know. But in the actual practice of education, it, it invariably leads to these sort of institutions and this you know hierarchy of of like you said educated and uneducated people, where it becomes this like class signifier essentially. Yes, it's it's a huge and again. Uh, I mean, I I wrestle with this daily as an adult as my politics have evolved because I went to an extremely expensive private university for college. And the I mean, I I live the reality of essentially having a piece of paper with a certain word on it. Yeah. And, you know, reflecting on my experiences in private higher education, all of these things come home to roost where it's just, yep. Pretty like it is is unquestionably the fact that if you were to fund all educational institutions to the level that mm-hmm. that that Duke University and its ten billion dollar endowment enjoys, right. you would have just tremendous opportunities and outcomes for literally everyone. But right, we would be a nation full of you know engineers and <laughs> doctors and scientists and like and just you know I, on I, top of our shit. And and the the. I guess, like the systemic understanding that flows from that education would also yield better outcomes at the, like, shit, I don't know if you're a a sanitation worker. Like the understanding that these things are fundamentally Right, everyone should be, the the problem is we view college as job training, essentially, and especially for more of the specialized careers where you have to go to like med school, law school, stuff like that, that's even worse. But, you know, that's sort of its own thing. But we view college as job training and not as just something everyone should have. Like, 
regardless of the fact that who cares if you're not going to actually use any of your college education in your job. It's still good to get a college education because education is good. Yeah, and just it, the it, abstract. It, it, frames it, it forms your outlook. better people. It makes you better at critical thinking. It makes you better at, you know, understanding the world around you. And it, like just a million and one different reasons that everyone should be better educated. And and it also, and which, which, event, which sort of loops around and becomes another challenge because much like so many other fucking political terms, this country has twisted the meaning of uneducated or the the connotation of certain words around the, the education yeah. to represent class distinctions wealth right. distinctions and all right this stuff. it becomes a like i said it becomes a class signifier and that's you know that's the part where it's shitty and the institutionalization and the hierarchy of everything and you have to kind of flatten it out and make you know make college you know obviously make state schools free uh probably just downsize the amount of private universities we have or even just get rid of the concept of private education entirely if we're talking about big changes well and you know um so my wife did graduate school in england and we were so it was maybe a year after she graduated though the tuition protests were happening in Mm -hmm. london when the government started to talk about maybe we're going to charge for you know the the public universities right austerity measures and as part of austerity and, like, the people were fucking, like, ready to burn the goddamn city down. Absolutely. The, and, and Taking like, away a, a benefit <laughs> that people have gotten used to is the fucking hardest thing to do in <laughs> politics. And that's why Social Security and Medicare and all that are the, considered the third rail. And that's why you have to push for big, huge, awesome things, because if you get them through... Fucking people will will never never let it be taken. Never. Exactly. Never, Never. ever. And to see sort of the the cowed reaction of, you know, people in the United States to Mm -hmm. what is, uh, I mean, just been an incredible disruption of public society, public opportunity, economic stratification is just really disappointing to watch in the context of, and again, it's happening in France right now. It's the smallest possible rollback mm-hmm. of what could be considered a social safety net. And mm-hmm. there there are cars on fire in the street. Yeah. Like where that consciousness and sort of um, civic responsibility has been beaten out of the United States. And it's wrapped up neatly in this discussion of charter schools because mm-hmm. – it's just a veneer over privatization mm-hmm. that skips the citizen having to pay for it directly. Mm-hmm. Right. They just have the government fund the private school instead. Exactly. And give you, and give you a thing they call a voucher. Uh, and then, you know, lotteries and all that bullshit. And I'm, I'm sure our C-SPAM educated posters know about the <laughs> horrors of charter schools and we don't have to go on for too and long I, about that. I have some friends who are teachers in, charter, in public charter schools here in New mm-hmm. York City, and, and they, I'm sure is, they hate it. And it is there. It is no judgment of anyone forced into participation in this system, but it is still just. It is demonstrably worse outcomes for students when yeah. you put a profit incentive. Oh, well, not only that, it's, it's awful for the teachers as well, where <laughs> yeah. they're they're fucking you know they're written raw just as much as the students mm-hmm. are, you know. So like no one's benefiting from it. 
Absolutely. But I think that that kind of wraps up the education <laughs> issue. Yes, um, we talked for quite some time. I'm, we I'm did, very passionate I, about education. And it's it's an important thing to be passionate about. Uh, the children are the future. I believe that very strongly. And we <laughs> that's should be that's why that. it's incumbent upon us to stop them wherever we can. <laughs> Prove me wrong, kids. <laughs> Prove me wrong. I know you're coming for my neck, children, so... <laughs> um. Uh, I'll just say this about Sam and Mallory. It's still weird that, like, Leo feels he has to meddle in the affairs of his adult daughter. I'll, <laughs> I'll say that every time it comes up again because it continues to remain weird. And Sorkin and Sorkin and women is just like a whole uh, <laughs> beleaguered <laughs> sigh of a situation. <laughs> the... Like it's it's very it's of the time. He can write Some women the- very well, like it's like CJ, and then but his views on women or dating women mm-hmm. uh, and and relationship dynamics can be very eh, of his generation. I'll just put it that way. And, and I think it's a, it's an interesting juxtaposition of his. He can empathize when he inserts himself as a character that happens to mm-hmm. be women. Mm-hmm. Or to be a woman, excuse me. Right, like so. When he's writing CJ, he's like, "What would I do if I was a woman in press exactly. secretary?" And, and he can write that real well. Yeah, exactly. And then, but then it's when the interaction is with a character that he is not currently identifying with. It's right. just uh, very yeah. Because if the there's a man wooing a woman, then yeah. obviously he projects himself onto the man onto the side man. of the equation. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. And this is, this is just sort of an issue with everything aging. Uh, Penny Marshall died this week, and mm-hmm. um, we watched A League of Their Own last night. And it's oh, I, I great movie. Fucking love A League of Their Own, but great movie. Some of the interactions between oh, Tom oh, Hanks yeah. and the women on the team is super like, dated. Ooh man, this is. Definitely almost 30 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, that's okay. why you watch it in a subversive frame of mind. And, you know, you Absolutely. think about that stuff. Anyway, we've been talking about this for way too long. So let's that's take okay. another break. And, yeah, when we come back, we'll talk about a much less contentious <laughs> topic. Yeah, Reparations. Great. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and so for our final and least controversial of topics is the subject of reparations. Right. Uh, we... Which, as I said, comes up because this guy has a quote on the back of a book that is pro-reparations, and he, you know, his book quote is basically like, hey, this is a really good book, and everyone should read it, especially white America, uh, because you need, y'all need to learn some shit uh, about what happened. Which seems, uh, again, literally on its face as non-controversial, as a suggestion of education. Absolutely. Like, well, like, the the idea that it would de- derail this dude's confirmation is, like, laughably absurd <laughs> on its face, I think. Yep, agreed. And, like, really, you can, like, much like how the Sam and uh, Mallory plot is a sitcom-esque level of failing to communicate just so that they can have the argument, I think this is sort of a, a drummed-up thing of, like, oh, we're really concerned about pushback during your confirmation hearing just so they can have the actual argument about reparations. And when you put it that way, it actually just sort of, in the scope of the show... The introduction of this specific character, who we will never see again. Right. He's a one-episode wonder. It seems quite... Uh, it's spontaneous and abrupt. Like, it is, why Why now? Is Are we casting about for issues that we haven't, like, addressed yet? Gotten to yet? Yeah. yeah. It does feel that way. It definitely mm. does. So, so that as they start digging into more of it, and he's like... 
yes, I'm pro reparations. And Josh is like, well, you know, <laughs> you, you, got, you got a figure. And the guy l- l- gives back a great educated response of like, oh, this dude over at the Economic Institute of whatever, you know, figured out how many slaves there were times that by numbers of hours worked times by what the fair market wage for labor was at the time and came up with $1.7 trillion. Yeah, and... Uh, which then Josh treats as in uh, pay me right now or else uh, this issue is not settled. And also, so this this whole thing is characterized by Josh's pathological reaction and almost mm-hmm. like I understand oh boy. that in his professional capacity, because we've actually talked about this before, in his professional capacity as a representative of the administration, it is something that he should be uh, identifying with. But it's just mm-hmm. the way he's acting it and is it is written, it is like this guy has approached him and said, excuse me, Joshua Lyman, I need you personally right. to give me $1.7 trillion. Dollars. Right now. Right Which now. Which is just fucking embarrassing. Moment. Like, uh Yeah. It just it's and it sort of frames the argument in a way where they're never going to get to like an actual sensible solution because no, although he does bring up at one point you know hey I'll take it in scholarships sure. however and, you want to visit the and however you want to you know it doesn't have to be cash you know it can be tax credits or whatever and but you know that you know there's no concept of like structuring it over decades or you know uh, finding alternative you know, ways of doing it. It's just sort of like, give us 1.7 trillion or, or I'm mad. And also in, in that way, and this is a incredibly, um, it is a foundation. It is like colonial. It's colonialism. Basically. It is a foundational Mm -hmm. aspect of every, every single part of civilization as we know it is underpinned by this mm-hmm. what what they call this this theft of treasure from an right. entire people, people. and yeah the- there's a great clip here i actually want uh to play where the guy uh set, talks about where his father's father came from start you weren't misquoted right no Okay, and I'm assuming if asked by the committee, you'll say that you're in favor of reparations. If asked, I'll tell the committee that my father's fathers were kidnapped outside a village called Wimbabwe, brought to New Guinea, sold to a slave trader from Boston, and bought by a plantation owner in Wadsworth, South Carolina, where they worked for no wages. And you're looking for back pay? Yes. And, like, and that really just sort of sums it up of, like, there's there you can't even possibly actually hope to compensate for this monstrosity that has happened to this people but this would this would be i don't want to call it like a a, a good first step but this this would show good faith at least you know it would show that you're a you're acknowledging the the wrongs of the past and b that you're looking forward to make it right in in the present and the future yeah, and in sort of in the way it is presented again as sort of it just pops up in this episode it's it's literally impossible to treat this subject seriously and yet we are just subjected to this awful kind of trite dialogue where Josh is mm-hmm. on about oh boy. 
on about the Nazis and juxtaposing. Okay, the, uh, so all right, let's get let's get into it here. So I was just gonna make it about reparations, but now let's get into the part where Josh takes it super personal and has the most fragile white guy meltdown <laughs> over the this nice calm black guy just explaining the concept of reparations to him, where he's freaking out over like, yeah, well we we you know we you where's my check from the Germans because I'm you know my grandfather and I'm Jewish. I'm like, oh my god! He's like freaking out at the dude. And it's again, as as we said, it's it is a him almost being. It's vested in him personally, and that that right. level of fragility, like get, getting offended at you know the idea that like it's white guilt essentially. It's like the guy is confronting him with like your ancestors did bad shit. You have to pay up, and Josh is freaking out at the concept of it. Yeah, and also, uh, and he, and by the way, tries to claim credit yeah. for the six hundred thousand <laughs> white dudes who died in the oh Civil War uh, because they were quote unquote I'm trying to, to free slaves, <laughs> uh, which none of those men in the army were doing. <laughs> let's let's make that clear. I just, and I think it's super the the Breckenridge the character's reaction to him saying that is just sort of like it goes beyond deadpan. It's just like. Zoop. Let's just let that <laughs> roll off my back. We're just not e- Yeah, we're just not even going <laughs> to unpack that because we'll be here all day. <laughs> oh my god. And so the it wraps up with them sort of in in a very both sidesy way coming down as being like, well, you know, this would be this would be a great thing to happen. Like I bet we can work together and the guy says I will do my best to advocate for all people from mm-hmm. you know this informed historical perspective right. that I have and believe and ultimately in. this will not be a problem for the confirmation hearing anyway and, and it's, uh, as I it's said, great that so. it's great that Josh comes around to him saying that which is cool but then it just sort of like they have this you know the the strings come in uh, from the score mm-hmm. yep, the and music, the music yep. like sort of amps up and then they go out the door and Josh is like let me buy you lunch man it's like god damn it <laughs> Motherfucker. This is this guy is ostensibly a fabulously successful lawyer. Like, you know, he's a Josh is, Josh is gonna go home and, and blog about his woke moment he had. Of buying a black man today. Lunch. Yeah. Like uh, Oh man. So so we um, we we've been we've been getting the the uh, the treatment of race relations in a sort of oblique fashion so far. And this one goes, just flips way to the other side of the spectrum where all of a sudden we're just having two characters sit down and talk about reparations. It's just, it's just ham fisted and it is ham fisted, but uh, I will say that at least they give the, uh, you know, the civil um, rights attorney guy, you know, he gets gets a lot of good talking points, you know, and he gets the last word, which is of course shorthand on this show for you're the correct one. And Josh, of course, melts down, which is also shorthand on this show for you are the incorrect yeah. one, uh, usually. Uh, sometimes there's positive meltdowns. I'm sure we'll run into one at some point. Yeah, so but, uh, it's just not a very – uh, you go ahead. Uh, I was just uh, – I was going to – any any. there's a couple other minor things I just wanted to get to here. Uh, I liked everything that happened with Danny in this episode. Yes. Uh, even his desire to be praised for his stupid suspenders. <laughs> Which suspenders are stupid, don't wear they're, them. They're back in vogue. Oh, God. Oh, right, because hipsters or something? I, I don't know, man. I just I, I started to see them at business meetings. It's stupid. Pants can <laughs> pants pants hold themselves own. up, <laughs> wear a belt. Like, good God. 
<laughs> um, but I, I like everything Danny does in this episode, particularly his interactions with CJ. Um, I like that they keep their romance thing bubbling, uh, even if neither of them can act yeah. on it. I think it's 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 not a will they or won't they, because you obviously know that they both want to. Uh, it's just the job keeps them. Yeah, there's apart. a little bit of tragedy. And I think that's a more that's and that's a much more interesting dynamic than like a will they won't for they, sure. uh, at least to me. Um, I really loved the president had literally nothing to do this episode <laughs> because his lunch appointment canceled because it had uh, the guy caught pneumonia. Yep. So uh, he's he's sitting he's lounging around reading a book written by George Washington about etiquette uh, and common courtesy. And I think it's literally called sort of, decorum. Or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, which, which, by the way, couldn't be more spot on for, like, the West Wing that, in general. Not in this show. <laughs> but he does have this really nice and funny bit with Charlie where he's like, hey, do you think I could take Washington? <laughs> and, like, at first I think he means in a fight, but then Charlie is like, take him in what? And he's like, a war? And he's like, well, you would have the Air Force, sir. He only has the Minutemen. And I kind of just want a whole show of people pitching these weird hypothetical questions to Bartlett uh, and them arguing about the hypothetical results of it. Could I would I would watch yeah, that absolutely. show. <laughs> uh, I, I'm a big fan of hypothetical arguments in general. There's this one in an episode of Angel where two characters are arguing about who would win in a fight, a caveman or an astronaut. <laughs> uh, and of course, the 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 best thing about hypothetical arguments to me is the questions that you then ask to define the argument better <laughs> and the first question that someone hears upon hearing this argument is do the astronauts have weapons no they do Ooh. not <laughs> which makes it a far more interesting <laughs> argument I'd... so i i just kind of liked that little bit of levity uh where where bartlett's just hanging yeah, around it was it was almost necessary too to be like what show am i watching oh yeah right. the west wing oh That's yeah the hey the president yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um. <laughs> it do, it does feel that way. You definitely get the sense of like when they originally wrote it, it, it was not going to feature the president at all, uh, as I'm sure plenty of people know by now. Uh, and you get a sense for it in some of these episodes where it's just all about the staff and the president barely features at all, except to have a little cameo at the end, which I think is fine, especially as they define the power dynamic, which is fine of, the, of yeah. the president because it's his. I mean, with him being the like the great man of the series, that's pretty boring. Like I don't, I don't right. need to watch a TV show where a guy makes unilateral decisions. And also, the last episode was very big on mm-hmm. Bartlett since mm-hmm. it was the whole thing with him and Abby. So he had a lot of screen time last episode. It makes sense to kind of back off of him for this yeah, one. Absolutely. And it's more a day in the life of the staff kind of episode, mm. uh, which are always fun and interesting. Yeah. On the West Wing, uh, which brings us basically to the conclusion of this episode. I would say. I would say too. I think we've uh, pretty much talked it to death. And speaking of Bartlett. We know what episode's coming up next, fam. Oh, the, the big one. Let <laughs> We're Bartlett let be Bartlett. Bartlett be Bartlett, baby. Oh, oh man. I'm looking forward to that one a lot, actually. Um, because, again, it's one of these things where, like, I wish that you had actually done what your, what your rhetoric said you would do. Yep. Uh, and it's but never mind we'll get into it next week. <laughs> yeah well we'll dig trust me we'll dig plenty into that uh next episode uh particularly with how it contrasts where where this administration goes over the course of their seven seasons they get <sighs> uh but this that wraps up this episode of six meetings before lunch 
Uh, thank you for listening. As always, you can leave feedback on the Something Awful thread, or uh, if you found us a different way, you could email the show at theworstwing69 at gmail.com. Nice. I have yet to I nice. have yet to receive a single email. So if you're listening to this, <laughs> yeah. even if you want to send me like a dick butt picture or something, yeah, just, just do, do a it. goof or something. <laughs> yeah, come It'd on, be great. Like let, let's have five or so show up. It'll be funny. W- we can talk about it next time. Although, uh, and yeah, I'd say. Uh, Merry holidays, whatever you observe. Yes. Um, Happy whatever. Merry Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. To, Merry to Christmas. The piss tape is real, I believe. <laughs> um, uh, have a safe and fun holiday season. Uh, may your time with loved ones be mercifully fl- free of awful political opinions. <laughs> of discussions about the West Wing. Try, try to yeah, try to keep it at generic stuff like you know weather, sports teams, TV. Uh, that kind of thing. Uh, that's my holiday advice for the season. We'll probably uh, and with that, talk to you in I don't know two weeks. I don't know what your schedule looks like, but we'll yeah, we it might out. we might take a, a holiday break here, but you'll expect that from the various other media you consume. So hopefully, we'll be back at some point um, this year or in the new year for another episode of more like the Worst Wing. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye bye. But don't ask me to come on over